0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to C3SanDiego.com. It's, it's good to laugh in church. And I know that in reading the Bible, sometimes it seems very serious, but Christ also was a joker You know, he called Peter the rock, but the type of rock that he called Peter was the kind that gets stuck in your shoe, the kind that's kind of annoying, that it's a little, but it has a double meaning because he was also the rock that he built the church on. That he called James and John the sons of thunder, but they had an overbearing Jewish mother that was always vying for their position, and so they would be great sons of thunder, but they also had a little storm that was in their mother and so Christ loves us to laugh so the title of my message today is you done messed up aaron and I'll get to that in in a second but before I do let me pray heavenly father thank you so much for this church a church that is fresh real and powerful where we can laugh where we get filled with your spirit and filled with your word, but we leave the religious spirit at the door. And so, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds, and that you would give us the ability to see and receive all that you have for us today in Jesus' name. And uh, you guys may be seated. Thank you so much. So I was preparing this message, and... A week ago on Saturday, and you can ask my wife about this. Normally, when I go to bed, if unless I know that I need to stay up and I that I, I will I will get into bed and then I'll be like tick-tick tick tick sleeping. And at the beginning of our marriage, this was a little bit weird because my wife is a communicator and, and loves to communicate, and she would want to communicate with me in bed, and I would be like in the middle of a sentence, she would be. Talking, I would be talking. I would start to just, just babbling, and then I would fall asleep. And she'd be annoyed, thinking that I didn't want to communicate with her. But it was just that I have this timer. So last last Saturday, though, I was kept up until four thirty in the morning. And God started unpacking something for me. So today we're going to get into the Bible. There's a good amount of scripture that I need to get through, but I'm going to be going, going quick. And we're going to go on a journey. So I just, can I get your your permission? Just, just, just come, come with me. And I promise, eventually it will, it will come together. And the totally irreverent title of my message will make sense. So uh, come with me in your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter three, verse four, and uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit, and, uh, but it's going to be fun. So God called to him, called to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And the Lord said, I have surely seen The oppression of my people who were in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, or Israel, out of Egypt. I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. Skip forward a little bit to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. But Moses said, O oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And the Lord said, Is not Aaron, the Levite, your brother? I know he can speak well. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what to do. So he will be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. And it's so interesting, Moses had a calling on his life to speak but he didn't believe in the calling because what he could naturally see wasn't that he was a good speaker. And so he's like, anybody but me, I can't speak well. And God was like, fine, you've got a brother who can speak, couple of years older than you, why don't you take him with you and I'll speak to you and then you'll speak to him and then he'll speak to the people. And it's this very complicated thing as opposed to like, hey, I'll just be with your mouth and you'll speak to the people. God's intention versus what God and, and Aaron through all of this is going to represent uh, settling. He's going to represent that, that, that thing that we do some, sometimes that, is, uh, that will make concessions to these lesser things because we have a fear that is going to, that is overpowering. And Aaron is this compromise that God allows for a little bit, wow. but we're gonna. So in in Numbers, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna paraphrase here because I'm not gonna read the entire book of Numbers to you. But there's, I uh, in in Numbers, there's a few things that happen over time, and God started showing me this pattern. Numbers fourteen five, the children of Israel complain about the respo- the reports of the spies, and the Moses sent these spies out into the promised land, two years after they went into the wilderness. And that's a message for uh, another time. But he sent these spies out and said that God was with them. And 10 out of the 12 spies came back and said that it was too much for them to do naturally, that they will be overpowered by the land. And the people start complaining against Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron fall on their face before God. The people don't change, but Moses and Aaron intercede. And then number 16.1, there's 250 leaders of the tribes that come and complain that Moses and Aaron are doing too much and not letting the rest of them lead. You ever been under leaders like that that try to do everything and the people never grow? So these people are complaining, and Moses is offended, He's like, I'm doing so much for all of these people, and so Moses complains to God, and God's angry with all the children of Israel, which is weird. But Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and intercede for the people, and God sends fire and just consumes those 250 leaders. So then, the children of Israel complain again and think that Moses and Aaron killed the leaders. And I think that there's like a a spiritual significance of like if you don't let your leaders actually lead, you are going to kill that spirit in them. But they complain, God gets angry, God sends a plague, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces, and then Aaron stands between the living and the dead and the plague is stopped. You see this pattern that there's people are complaining, not changing, Moses and Aaron are interceding, and then the people are complaining, again, there's no growth in this leadership pattern. So Numbers 22 in Kadesh, which, by the way, means hallowed or separated, consecrated, uh, there, there was no water. And the children of e- e- Israel get melodramatic and complain, saying that they wished they were dead. So Moses and Aaron fall on their face before God. So the word is leader not doer and if you're a leader you need to lead people to find their own breakthrough if you do the hard stuff for them they will never grow they will resent you and they will and you will be the biggest obstacle for them stepping into their promise so then the Lord spoke to Moses saying take the rod which represented the power of God you and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock tr- twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and the animals drank. So the result that came out of the rock was the same, but Moses told, or God told Aaron and Moses to speak to the rock, not to strike the rock. They still got the water to flow but the lord spoke to moses and aaron and said because you did not believe me to hallow me kadesh means hallowed in the eyes of the children of israel therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which i have given them and I, this is what kept me up at night last saturday that i'm thinking you know there were so there's other stories and like aaron done messed up a bunch of times in all of these, you go into Exodus and like Moses is having, Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, has a face-to-face encounter with God, and God uses his own hand to, to create these tablets to put his laws on, and Moses is up there for like 40 days, it takes a little bit longer than he thought it was going to, and the people complain. And so Aaron goes to all of the ladies and takes the jewelry that they took from the Egyptians off of them and makes a golden calf and and says to the people, this is the God, this golden calf is what led you out of Israel. And so the people start singing and dancing around this golden calf, and when Moses comes down from the mountain, he hears what he thinks is wailing, but as he gets closer, they're not crying, they're singing and dancing, and then he sees them worshiping this golden calf. And Moses is so, like, out of his mind, angry, that he shatters the tablets that God made with his own hand. If you think that anything would disqualify Aaron, it should have been that. But God told Moses and Aaron to speak to this rock. And Aaron didn't even say anything. He just stood by while Moses took this rod that represented the power of God and struck the rock. The water still flowed. But somehow that was the thing that disqualified them from walking into the promised land. And I'm like, what the heck, God? Yeah. But God showed me that the rock was an Old Testament picture of salvation and the transformation of the human heart. You know, in Ezekiel 36:26 it says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And John thirty seven thirty seven and through 39 says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit of whom uh, uh, whom Those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's this picture of what happens in the human heart, that the heart is transformed from a rock to flesh, and out of this flesh, rivers of living water flow, and the rivers of living water are a picture of the Holy Spirit, what comes through salvation, And God showed me that you gotta speak life. If you are a leader, you need to speak life out of the hearts of your people. If you use God's power as a weapon, you disqualify yourself from leadership. Moses and Aaron were disqualified from leading the people into the promise of God when Moses used his staff, which represented the power of God as a weapon rather than his mouth that was meant to be God's rhema word to speak life, fountains of living water out of this dead rock. You know, and God's word in your mouth is as powerful as his word in his mouth because it's his word. And God said to Moses in the beginning, I wanna use your mouth, but I will put my word in your mouth. I will teach you what to, to say leaders that are leading on their own strength and using God's power as a weapon against their people disqualify themselves from truly leading people in a holy way. That's a religious spirit. So now the children of Israel... Watch what happens. So in, in, now the children of Israel, the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah, which means strife. So what was supposed to be living water, what was supposed to be the water of life became the water of strife for the people, take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Uh, in the wilderness, and he, uh, wait, what? Moses came down from the mountain. Now all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, and the house of Israel mourned for Aaron for 30 days. Now watch what happens from this, though. The next paragraph. The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. He fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord. Suddenly, the man of God, which was standing in the way of their relationship to God, was dead. So for the first time since they were in Egypt, the children of Israel talked to God. And they said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. And if you only know God through your priest's revelation, you will never step into your own victory. And that's such a powerful revelation to have because religious Churches cause you to just rely on the revelation of the man of God. And I had my own religious thinking about the man of God when I started coming to church. There were people that I qualified in mind and disqualified in my mind, because I was like, "There, I will listen to their revelation. But there's a responsibility of all of us as children of God to get into God's word and start to have revelation. If God's word is a living word, then every time we get in there, it will come to life and there will be fresh revelation. He is constantly speaking. But if we're not hearing him, maybe there is an Aaron that has somehow gotten in between us and our ability to hear from God. And sometimes that Aaron is a person, but sometimes it's a mindset. And if I'm just coming to church on Sunday, expecting to be fed, listening to the revelation that the man of God up on stage is getting, but never stepping into that place of revelation for myself, never getting into God's word, never talking to him and listening to him in prayer, is it possible that I'm actually being held back from ever stepping into the promise that God has for me? You know, sometimes you gotta leave that person you've been hiding behind up on their mountains so you can step into your promise. So watch what happens next. So then they journeyed. The people of Israel journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is not a small place. And so they're traveling around the Red Sea and they just saw God come down and give them this land. But old habits die hard, and they complained again. They were discouraged because it was a long journey, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people, and they bit the people. Many of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, now watch this, they didn't say, what have you done or what has God done? They said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a certain serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked on the bronze serpent, he was saved. And is this beautiful picture of Christ in the, in the Old Testament, and bronze in the tabernacle in the in the temple in the place of meeting bronze represented the place of atonement it was the place of atonement where the sheep were sacrificed that was made out of bronze but it was also the metal that was in the top of the doorposts that separated the separated man from entering into the holy of holies and Christ says in the new testament that, well, because that's where Christ is, right? But the, uh, you know, it says, I am the door. And it's, it's this beautiful picture that the object of God's affection became the object of God's wrath. He didn't say, take, take this, this bronze and make a lamb and put it on a pole. He didn't say, take the bronze and make a lion and put it on a pole. He said, take the bronze and make a serpent and put it on the pole. And sometimes we get tripped up in church and especially if we have a religious background and we see Christ up on the pole and we have pity on him because we see him as a man. You know, and we can have some revelation about him being a lamb or him being a lion, but how many of you have looked on Cross, and when you look up at the cross, instead of seeing Jesus sacrificed, you actually see your sin hanging there. That the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. And there's this beautiful picture that when I see Christ as my sin, no matter what I've been doing, if I've been bitten, if, that, if, if sin has been nipping at my heels, no matter what I've done, past, present, or future, when I look on, when I see Christ becoming my sin, when I have a revelation about what he did, what he brought me out of, and what he's calling me into, I'm saved. So as soon as Aaron died, the people started stepping into their faith. They repented. They repented. And it's such a, a crazy thing because before they didn't think they'd done anything wrong. They had thought all of this wrong had be do- been done to them. But as soon as Aaron died, the people repented and the blood of the lamb was preached. And as soon as the blood of the lamb, they stepped into their process, into the promise of their territory, out of their, out of their test. They'd been in this test for 40 years and they started to step into their promise, and their, their promise also came with a process, but they started to step out of their test into real testimony, because after that point, after Aaron died, there was only victory. There was only for, forward movement. The people stepped into their promise, and Moses stepped into his calling. As soon as Aaron died, Moses started stepping into the calling as a a leader and as a priest to lead the people of God. He led people to God, not to himself. Moses also stepped into his call as a speaker. And if you read the end of Deuteronomy, when he blessed the tribes of Israel, before he got called up to uh, the mountain to die but he blessed the the each of the tribes and it's the most beautiful poetry it's so much more powerful so much more beautiful than anything that Aaron was ever recorded saying that that call of God had been inside Moses. Moses was created to be an incredible leader and an incredible speaker, but he allowed Aaron to get in the way which wasn't God's intention. It was a compromise, and God will allow compromise for a time. It's like when you come to church, you are allowed to feed on milk initially and having like messages that are milky that are just, Sunday is just for the lost, it's not for the feeding of the people, but eventually you, you got to just step out of this just milk message and start chewing on meat because God will allow this little bit for a little bit of time, but eventually you got to start to mature, and And Moses had a failure to launch because aaron was was in his way. I think that Moses could have released Aaron at some point and said, "You know, thank you so much. you've gotten me this far, but I need to step out of your shadow and into." into the calling that God has on my life. I honor you for everything you've done and everything you've sacrificed, but I've had a revelation from heaven that now it's time. Now it's time for me to step out from behind you into the place that God intended for me to be. You know, and I have had that in my, my own life. You know, there, there's sometimes the biggest barrier to Christ, and we're in the family-ish series. Sometimes the, our biggest barrier to Christ is our own family. And I had that in, in, in my life. And, you know, and it's not that they had the wrong heart, but they were just doing the wrong, the wrong thing. And our, I had believed wrongly about them. And I hadn't stepped out of being in that, that shadow you know, a religious spirit isn't always attached to a religion. It's an ideological attachment to anything keeping people in bondage. Right. You know, and my, my journey has been really breaking those attachments. And I came, I'm so grateful that it was Communion Sunday today. Because the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart during communion on Easter of 2010. I'd come to an intellectual acceptance of the gospel in 2005, but I was still really on the fence about virgin birth, resurrection, creationism versus evolution. I had a lot of intellectual stuff caught up in my mind around God. I'd had that revelation that the only way that I was ever going to grow was in A supernatural way that I had to that if if it was up to me to do it on my own, I was never going to be good enough to be accepted by God. But if His whole plan for me wasn't for me to mature myself, but for Him to mature me in a relationship from a father to a son in His timing, not mine. That's the way. That's the only way it could work out. And like I I'd had a revelation around that, but I was still kind of attached to leaning on my own understanding about natural things versus supernatural things. And I went to an Easter service and uh, at The Rock and it was like very busy. And it was 8.30 in the morning and I'm not like an 8.30 in the morning church guy, typically. And there were you know 3,500 people in the sanctuary and more in overflow. And I was sitting with a group of people that like to sit way in the back and I like to sit way in the front because when I'm sitting in the front, no matter how big the room is, it feels small and intimate. To me, that's just how I'm built. And then there was worship and there was this worship director. She was not even a pastor and she had gone to Berklee School of Music and she would take songs that people knew by heart but she would get bored playing the same songs in the same key in the same way over and over again, and she would just do weird things. She'd take like, how great is our God, and put a samba beat to it, and transpose it into a minor progression, and it just became, this isn't worship, what is this, it's so weird. So there's like, you know, in that day, it was contemporary gospel choir, my least favorite type of worship personally in a service filled with 3,500 people on Easter, and I knew the message. It wasn't like something different was going to happen that Easter. They don't just throw Mary up on the cross every once in a while to keep them guessing. I knew the story. And, I'm, and Miles McPherson, a brilliant, brilliant pastor, and like, I'm sure he had an amazing word, but my ears were closed off to it by a religious spirit. And they had an altar call, and of course, 100 people or so, probably more, it was Easter, went forward, and I thought, I've already done that. I've already got the awkward prayer in the back room, the free Bible, and the devotional. I'm good (laughs) on that. I don't have to do it again. So I stayed, and after everybody that was new went away, the pastor invited people into communion. But it was weird, and it's a very seeker-friendly church, the pastor said, this is the communion of the saints. If you do not consider yourself a Christian, do not mock God, do not take communion. And he was very, and I was like, well, I consider myself a Christian, so I'm good with this. And then he prayed for communion, and while he was praying for communion, God started speaking to me in where my mind was filled with all of these thoughts that were like a conversation, and it was a very similar conversation to the conversation that God had with Job in the whirlwind, where he started to unravel all of my intellectual thinking, my intellectual pride, and my religious prejudice. And as soon as he was able to get me to the end of that journey, which conveniently was at the end of the communion prayer, which, by the way, had nothing to do with what was going on between my ears, he revealed Christ's sacrifice to me in a way that broke my heart. And I was like that rock, just water pouring out of me. And I mean, it's a communion message. You never know what can be. (laughs) <laughs> what could be powerful, I've listened to the message since then, and it had nothing to do what was going on with me. But nevertheless, God had positioned me in that place to be able to hear from him. And when I heard from him, he took this heart of stone and made it a heart of, of flesh. And suddenly the most important thing in my life was to be baptized and to be discipled. And I didn't know what either of those two things meant. Professionally, I was being groomed to be the global creative director for Hewlett-Packard, which at the time was the biggest technology company in the world, the founders of Silicon Valley, and it was a big- deal job, and I was a big deal job, big deal paycheck, stock options, all of it. And I felt like I was being called into full-time, really like, a really conservative missionary equipping school. And I didn't grow up in church. I lost my faith in God when I lost my faith in the other hero of Christmas. And I put all of the supernatural characters that adults had told me about into the same basket and tossed them out. And then I tried to live life on my own power and on my own strength. And as a, a teenager, I got caught up into drug addiction and alcoholism. And God delivered me from that in the most miraculous way in a moment. But then He also gave me a process in 12-step recovery that was really helpful in starting to unravel a lot of the religious beliefs that I didn't even know I had, and leading me in a process of sanctification that started before I even called him by name, by the way. But... During that, I, he had delivered me from drugs and alcohol, but I got into all kinds of other addictions, sex addictions. I had an eating disorder. I dated a sociopath for eight years, and coming out of that relationship had been so hurt that I thought it would be easier to enter into a homosexual lifestyle than it would be to ever allow my heart to be hurt again by a woman. And God delivered me out of that again in a crazy supernatural way. But there have been so many things that had happened. And then he brought me into a relationship with himself. And if there was a if there was a category in high school, in my high school yearbook, the least likely person to ever become a Christian, I would have won. There wouldn't have been even a contest. I was antagonistically anti-Christian. I judged Christians like so badly and when my friends would get saved out of drug addiction in high school when I was still in it myself I I hated Christians for stealing my friends I'm like you've stolen my friends and you've brainwashed them I didn't see that they were getting radically set free from the thing that I was still in bondage to I didn't have joy I had hatred so for God to do all that was miraculous But I grew up in a very, very liberal home where being a born-again Christian was like the worst possible thing that could happen to you. And this journey that I was on was so personal and I think for so long my parents didn't get it and I would pray for their salvation. Every, the first Sunday of the year, here at church we have vision sunday and on the vision card that we fill out there's a place to put names for people that we're believing are going to get saved and every year my parents and my little brother would be at the top of that list followed by two of my best friends but i never shared my full testimony with them they didn't know where i'd actually been and so they just thought i joined a nice friendly club of people They didn't realize that I would never have naturally chosen this club on my own, that it was only out of, there is no place left for me to go. But I couldn't tell that story because I was still in the shadow of fear of my family. You know, and if fear has still got your tongue, you haven't stepped into your promise yet you're still in the wilderness. Because it says in in, in Psalms that, that let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that the mark of the redeemed is that we have the ability to actually say so. And it's stepping out from behind the fear, behind the things that are being, sometimes it's stepping out from the man of God or from the Religious attachment that families have to be able to really step into that freedom of that promise, but when you really step into the promised land, there is fruit of the promised land, and the most sure fruit of the promised land is that the redeemed of the Lord will actually be able to say so. There's a, a quote by Timothy Keller, and it's, it, I, it's I've been chewing on this for the past couple of weeks, and. He writes about being known and being loved. And he said, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for anything life can throw at us. And uh, when I came to C3, it was on my second date with my beautiful Jenny, who's now my wife. It was... uh, a few years after entering that discipleship school and having a lot of these religious attachments to things broken off my life, just when I, th- I was thinking, oh, I've really got this, I'm really free, <laughs> another thing would come up and I would be humbled. But on the other side of that, humbling was always breakthrough. And God finally got me out of on uh, enough of that stuff that I could start to walk into the promise, and Jenny has been my promise, but she has also been my process. And you know, a lot of people think that the promised land is going to be this easy, danger free place of an endlessly prolonged finale of delight, but if you look at the promised land, there's like process all the way through it, God gave them. Jericho. But you know, if you have a city with giant walls and the walls have just crumbled, you have a giant friggin' mess. <laughs> and there's a huge process that goes along with that, along with the relational mess of conquering people that didn't want to be conquered. But there's a process to the, the, there's a process to that promise, but there's We're being matured from glory to glory, from victory to victory. And if we walk with God and trust him in it, he'll take us through all the way through it. So I got an opportunity to to speak for the first time at church on a three by 10, about two and a half, almost three years ago. And I prayed because I have a testimony that can kind of go all over the place. And three by 10s are usually testimony driven things, and I I prayed to God, and I said, God, will you show me where I should go? Do I do this soft lob like I was a teenage drug addict, and you radically delivered me from that? Because that's powerful. Or do I tell the whole story in an abbreviated way, because I only have 10 minutes? (laughs) Becky really doesn't like it if I go over time. Do I, do I tell that, that whole story? And, and I prayed and I fasted and God said, if you censor what I've done in your life, you will censor what I want to do through your life. And I thought, geez, <laughs> well, you know, it would be dishonoring. I very much believe in the commandment to honor your father and your mother and I thought it would be dishonoring to let a bunch of random strangers know intimate details of my life that my parents were unaware of. So I had to call my mom and call my dad and sit down with them and tell him what I was going to talk about. Now, I only had 10 minutes, so I didn't go into crazy detail, but it was enough, and it was, it was a beginning of stepping out behind that shadow that I had lived in fear of for so many years. It was a beginning of letting my parents see the reality of the transformation that had happened in my life. But the Monday after I preached my first full service at C3. I was walking in La Jolla and there is a pastor named Tim Hall from Planet Shakers, who's a well-known prophet that happened to be visiting. And he literally called me off the street, didn't know who I was, had never heard of me or about me or anything, and told me that there was a call on my life to write a book. And he said, you have this incredible, he knew all of these things that he couldn't possibly have naturally known. And he said, there's this incredible call of God on your life. You have this multifaceted testimony and you're to write a book that contains all the facets. And then you're to write a book or two for each of the facets. This isn't something you can escape. You can look me up on the internet. I'm not somebody that just randomly tracks down people on the street and calls them out, but God highlighted you and he showed me this picture of this call that he's put on your life. The next day, I got a call from Sam Duth from North Campus, and he had almost word for word the same word for me. And I wrestled with God about it, because I had the book that I wanted to write, and then he had the book that he wanted to write. And the book that he wanted to write was more in line of, if you censor what I've done in your life, I will censor, you will censor what I want to do through your life. So I got asked to to speak at Cherish, and there's nothing like a deadline to really push you into to something, and and I said, okay, that's when the book needs to be finished. And so I had a deadline, and I worked backwards from when the printer said it would be done and everything, but the Tuesday before Cherish, the books arrived at my house, and I called my parents. And I went over to their house, and I brought them each a copy of my book. And I wrestled with this, because there were things that I did not want to write about. And when Canon J. John read my book, he's like, I don't know, I may not be your intended audience, but there are things in my generation that you just do not talk about. But I knew what God wanted me to write. So I wrote this book, and the book is like, you know, the things that you don't want your parents to ever find out. And this is not a call for everybody's life. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so does not typically look like that. And I am not telling you or trying to convict you about putting your deepest, darkest secrets in a book and then handing a copy to your mother. (laughs) But for me, that's something that needed to happen. And there had been enough fruit of me living in the promised land that anything that I could tell my parents wasn't going to freak them out. I wasn't compulsively disclosing things to try to force transformation before it's time. There was real fruit, long-lasting fruit that had been born in my life that had happened through a process of walking and moving and being challenged and overcoming with God. But I wrote this book and I handed it to my mom and I got a a text later in the day saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm kind of glad you didn't tell me about some of this stuff before, but I feel like the time now is right and I feel so much closer to you knowing all of this stuff, being known and being loved. Got a similar message from my dad and then my mom called me and wanted to buy copies for her friends and for my cousin and for my aunts and uncles and everything. And it's been this beautiful thing, but it started this conversation that I'd been writing names on a vision card, wanting God to do some sort of supernatural work, but I wasn't willing to do my part. And this is a place of transformation. This altar is a place of transformation. Our, eyes, our lives get altered at the altar. God begins a work supernaturally, and then he works it out through process, that the cross is up and down relationship, me and God, and then side to side relationship with people, that there's a power and there's a process to transformation. And I just want to in, invite you today to consider that, to consider the errands in your life that are messing you up. And for some of you, it might be a mindset that you have carried for a long time and you don't even know how to let go. You don't, know how, you don't have to know how to let go of that. You just have to be willing, and God will do his work. For some of you, it is a family member or somebody whose shadow you've been standing in for a while. And for some of you, it might be a pastor or a leader that you are allowing to do everything for you. And you need to start to step out into your own calling. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.